0: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Oh My Coffee, and here's my story I am sharing on the Trep Life podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on social media O M A I K O F I, and that's Dr. Oh My Coffee on Instagram. I'm so excited, and I want to stay connected with you, and I hope my experiences inspire you. And remember dreams over doubt, focus over frustration, progress over perfection,
1: solutions over setback. My favorite is prevention instead of intervention. Stay
0: updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on
1: Wednesdays and Sundays, streaming on all podcast platforms. In a society where black culture influences are everywhere, but black people in general are pretty much marginalized,
0: I mean, it's nice to know there's people like Jibba who are out there, just super vocal about it and so unapologetic about it. It's great. Honestly, it, I feel like it made me more vocal about it because usually I'll be like, you know what? I get it. I get what you're saying. And um, I feel this way. And I will, you know, step on eggshells or walk on eggshells to make you feel more comfortable, but still explain it to you. Jibba just like, listen, man, this is how it is. And this is how it's going to be. Take it, leave it, hate it or love it. But that's it. It's great, man. Shout out to Jibba. Shout out to the Horsemen
1: and Trap Life. RSP out. Hello, this is Jeb Anderson and I'm sharing my story on the TREP Live podcast. Let's stay connected. You can follow me on social media, either at Jeb Anderson on Facebook or my handle Jazz Intellect J-A-Z-I-N-T-E-L-L-E-C-T on Instagram and Twitter. Or you could just check out the website, Enterprises, That's G-R-I-O-T enterprises.com. I hope my experiences inspire you. And remember, dreams over doubt, focus over frustration. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays. Hello.
0: We are back and live and live in color.
1: Okay. Okay, so hopefully this will be working.
0: Yes, hopefully we can just flow from here.
1: Okay, okay. So
0: Producing great content for the people.
1: (laughs) Thanks, thanks. So do you want me to um, try my introduction again?
0: Yeah, we'll just uh, go with the introduction without further ado.
1: Okay. Hello, this is Jeba Malay Anderson, publisher of Griot Enterprises, creator of its flagship title, The Horseman, and curator of the four pages, 16 bars, a visual mixtape anthology series.
0: Well, that's quite a list. Just a, that kind of gives you just a glimpse on how impressive and multifaceted your career has been.
1: Thank you. I, I just uh, I kind of just look at it um, as me following my passion more so than anything else. But I'm glad that people uh, look at it as an illustrious and diverse career. I appreciate that. It I'll take it. It absolutely
0: is. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm going to kind of put you in the hot seat early today and then we're kind of going to. Go into a little bit more of a, a happy place where we can talk about comics. But, um, I, you have some very, um, like I would say you're very influential on social
1: media when it comes to, uh, politics. You're very vocal. Okay. I'll, I'll take vocal, but influential. Wow. That's, yeah, uh, I,
0: I, I see the comments. I see your engagement. It, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, your, what, what was it that happened the other day? The um, Somebody tried to come on your page and
1: be disrespectful yeah.
0: and you had to get them up out of here pretty
1: quick. But yeah, that, yeah, that was an incident. <laughs> um, an incident happened where someone um, stepped into the wrong territory and was warned twice About their um, actions and the consequences thereof. And I can verify
0: all of this too. He's right in
1: the truth. And and they proceeded to, you know, um, step over the line, and I had to remind them who they were dealing with. It was
0: when I say quick, it was quick, fast, and in a hurry. You know, you just
1: (laughs) sometimes you just have
0: to let people know it can be like that. You know, I don't want it to be like that, but it can definitely
1: be like that. You, you know what I mean? Um, and it's, it's really one of those things like when you're dealing with social media, people don't understand that even though you have an opinion. I mean, it's fine to have an opinion. Yes, it's fine to have free speech, but you must face the consequences of your free speech. And just because you have that opinion does not mean that because you have that opinion, that opinion has the right to exist on equal footing as someone else's opinion. Someone's Um, opinion is based in fact. and And, and, and And really what it boils down for me, it's very, very simple. Right. You can either be selfish or selfless. And if your opinion is based on selfishness, then it's just wrong. Straight up and down. It's simple right? Simple like that. Very simple like that. You know? If, if your opinion is a sexist opinion, it's wrong. I mean, if your opinion is a racist opinion, it's wrong. And you if can you're, have
0: it, but that doesn't that's yeah, all you can, you, can you can have pretty
1: much exactly you can have it but don't make me don't expect me to respect you for having that yeah <laughs> you, see, give, you see what I'm give saying your
0: opinion the same level of uh, validity that you know different opinions and gravitas.
1: Garner right yeah right, right. and gravitas and yes and, and and at the end of the day it does all boil down to facts right And or it should right you know well well in my in in my sphere it does you see what i mean yeah it's it's like facts are irrefutable not just the truth can be subjective but facts are irrefutable
0: because we live in a world now where people really use the term and i think overly so uh, or the phrase um perception is reality and it's like okay no no, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> it's...
0: And I'm like, I, I, I understand all that that means and tries to encompass, but no. What
1: it's no it also that. like, you know, people people who try and use that um definitely are not the people with the, uh, you know, the mental bandwidth to really understand what they're trying to say. You see what I mean? Exactly. Like you know, perception is reality. Ooh, saying that, you are so deep. You are so intuitive. No, you're not. I mean, that's a, you pick that up that's from, a
0: catchphrase. From,
1: from some book that you didn't even read, but you heard somebody else say it and you thought it was cool. So you're going to use that and call yourself deep. Nah, you know, that's not, not necessarily true. That's along the lines of, like, people who are not artists, saying that all art is subjective and you cannot critique art. Well, I have been an art professor for over 20 years. Yes, I can critique it. Yes, there is a model by which to critique whether something is good or not. So, you know, you saying that, that's trying to make you feel better. But again, we are coming with facts. You know, that that's for people
0: who like do like a, A drawing that looks like something that we made in like kindergarten or preschool and they're you know thinking that they're the next big thing and right we we just it's we we can go to a very very interesting and weird places that I just don't particularly care to travel to you know (laughs) well maybe I'll look at them you know see them in a, a book somewhere but I, I don't particularly want to book the flight there and do a little vacation or anything. I'm
1: I'm okay. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And and there are times where, you know, you just have to walk away and leave them to their you know what I mean? Their their reality <laughs> and that's fine. You know what I mean? But just don't try to impose that reality on mine. Because you are going to lose exactly. because, I have, because I have a very hard line that I stand on and I stand on it like a rock and I can defend it you know um, it's like do you have that same conviction and what I find is that 9.95 times out of 10 they do not and what they are trying to do is they are trying to garner some sort of strength some sort of power that they do not have in their own reality and the audacity of trying to find it you know which ties into what I'd like to call the pathology okay um, yes you know i've seen that we, <laughs> you know i'm
0: definitely have a follow up question with that so let let me let you continue
1: yeah. Right. But but that but that's a prime example of the pathology um that has made the mediocre feel that they are equal when they're really not, and they never have been. You know, they're they are living a lie that was generated to keep them mediocre. And when they see that lie being consistently punctured day by day by day. And they see sort of the... It really makes them get in their feelings. So, you know, it's it's the equivalent of trying to go to somebody else's playground and be a bully. Because obviously their playground is very empty. And um, it's like, you come into my space, you're stepping into the wrong playground. Because, you know, take care of bullies quick, fast, in a hurry. Does that make sense? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Can you give us some of your uh, taglines, catchphrases, and hashtags that, you frequently use on social media because i find them to be so accurate but also so entertaining
1: gotcha um yeah i mean first of all you know i mean there there are so many you know <laughs> hashtag pathology um hashtag are you great yet um, love that one. <laughs> thank you uh hashtag you are so missing him now um Hashtag no justice, no peace, no chill. Yeah. Um, hashtag survive, resist, excel. Uh, those are those are a few <laughs> that that pop up regularly.
0: What's the other one? Uh, you have that uh, Edie Trumpin. Is that is that? No. Oh,
1: Trumpin Edie Trumpin. Yes. Edie Trumpin. Okay. Uh, um, because uh, Dolt 45, Edie Trumpine is what I like to call him. He wants to be an African dictator, but he doesn't have the fashion sense down.
0: This is the kind of stuff that happens on his uh, Facebook. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know about Twitter and Instagram as much. I lo- maybe I'm following you on Instagram. I don't but I mostly see <laughs> these type of interactions on Facebook and it's it's wonderful, you know it's just it's it's hilarious okay. and my my actual favorite hashtag from you though is re- well actually i don't even know if you use it as a hashtag anymore or if you ever did but
1: it's read before commenting oh yeah yeah that's not even a hashtag, hashtag. that's,
0: that's just, just what it is
1: but yeah, yeah that's just a psa of whenever <laughs> i post anything up you know um because i had i had seen way 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 too many times like people not even, you know, reading um, the post before I post it up. And one of the things that, um, you know, I, I make a point to, whenever I post something or whenever I decide to share something, I I read the article first. You know, um, I have to read it. I have to see where they're coming from. I have to see, um, you know, the style of writing. Is it like? Is it this sort of like clickbait, you know, um, sort of piece where somebody is just on their soapbox? Is it something informative? Is it something um, positive? Is it something that, that needs to be said? And even with those articles, um, you know, when I see that, I also try to help by giving a quote from the article you know, that kind of helps. But even then, you know, I know people don't read before they comment sometimes. So, you know, I just had to put that disclaimer out there. Read Not even before... going to lie. I'm guilty of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I've i even posted articles sometimes where like, or I'll just share them like, but it's mostly like business insider stuff where I'm like, you know, it's kind of a, what you see, what you get. I'll read some of it and be like, you know, it's just interesting information Pass it along. I don't really have an opinion on it. I'm not, you know, invested in how you feel about it. But this is what's going on here. Share it, you know. But it it it's it's a dangerous thing to do. And uh, I've become, thanks to you and and that uh, PSA, I've become definitely more mindful of that.
1: <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I mean, you know, we we all do it. Like sometimes, <clears throat> you know, sometimes we'll see an article and we don't even really need to read it. You know? Right. Yeah. And then we no, like, yeah. It, like, like you can garner that from the headlines, like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. You know, that sort of thing. But um someone think pieces like
0: the ones you you know what I mean? I, I don't do that. That that's something different. But
1: yeah, but definitely the think pieces. I'm like the the reason why or you know, or the articles or you know, these um little tidbits of history and whatnot that I like to share, um, in order to help people understand. Um, where I'm coming from and also you know uh, using Facebook as somewhat of a platform to change the narrative you know change narratives that have been out there you know for decades or for centuries, right um, it, you know if if you use it right, you know I mean definitely Facebook is a tool it's a tool of information it's also a tool for propaganda. Um, if you understand, the nature of propaganda, and if you understand the nature of narrative, um, you could use Facebook to counteract that. But in order to do that, you have to come from a place of truth. And you have to come from a place of uh, no bias. Does that make sense? Absolutely. In, in order to be effective of it. So, for example, you know, I I have a I, I have a feeling like some the people who know me understand exactly where I'm coming from. Okay. Um, from, the, from the people who may just get bits and pieces of this persona, which is part of who I am. Um, you know, I may people I may put people on their toes. It's like you know, some people who are super duper pro black. They look at my stuff and they'll look that they'll look that yes, you know, I'm very much. African and African American in my mindset, but again, I'm also always about truth. Right. So, you know, if you're coming with some sort of modified, transmogrified, lot, mytholo- you know, mythologized version of Africa that you never really even study, but you're trying to put that as fact. I'm gonna clown you on that because you know, I am Liberian and also I And looking at what's happening in the continent currently, Okay. you know, not with this whole like we were kings and queens lens or that, um, you know, you're you're really practicing um, a bastardized version of what being African is based on the lens of the other that told you what Africa was. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, because, I mean, just to kind of briefly touch on that. Not all of us were descendants of kings and queens, right?
1: Like exactly. most of most <laughs> right? Americans were not. We're not most most. And, and African-
0: we're Americans not from, did not Egypt, from Egypt. right. Yeah, but that I mean we, that when you look at the um what's the term I want to use the Middle Passage, right? Right, and how that works Um there. There's I mean, we could probably do a whole episode just on that as a Definitely. as a topic. So,
1: you know, and then when you see when you see these new like ridiculous terms, like in and, and again, looking at the nature of propaganda and looking, you know, that this whole term ADOS, American Descendants of Slaves, mm-hmm. that term actually offends me.
0: OK, tell us, um, tell us about that. Tell us why
1: because nowhere in that term indicates the source of your origin and the source of black folk in this country comes from africa okay Number one number two um you are not a descendant of a slave you are a descendant of a person that was kidnapped from their native home to enter into this human trafficking enterprise, which was known as the transatlantic slave trade. So you are not a descendant of a slave and calling your, and calling your ancestors slaves diminishes them.
0: Okay. I no. I actually like that um, perspective. And it, to me, it's uh, refreshing. How do you yeah. feel about this other term that kind of uh, came, has risen around the same time as ADOS? Foundational black Americans.
1: Foundational black Americans. Again, see the thing, the problem with these terms is that they're all BS, right? Okay. And Also the thing about these terms is that these were actually generated by um, conservative um, African Americans who actually have uh, ties to these right wing websites. I've read a couple of articles, um, especially where ADOS comes into play. Okay. Uh, and on top of that, these terms only came in when the discussion of reparations um, gained national attention. Okay, all right. Can I can I pause so, you
0: there for a second? Yeah. Before we go further, how do you feel in principle about reparations?
1: I feel that you must pay what you owe. Okay. I also feel that reparations are not just limited to the United States. The entire African diaspora deserves reparations because, in essence, during the transatlantic slave trade, only 400,000 Africans landed in the United States. Mm-hmm. The majority of Africans were in Brazil. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Right, the the slave trade, though it ended after the Civil War here, and actually they stopped importing slaves at a certain point here because the fact of the matter is that their guess, if you will, stock was self generating. Right. Um, you and, know, they and were still
0: carrying the cargo was too expensive. You know, it was just it was a cost effective exactly. measure. Yeah
1: exactly exactly yet you know yet during that time still there were there were people being transported to brazil you know what i mean south america so on and so forth that's actually why um what you see in south america and the caribbean so on and so forth you see that the ties to the continent are much stronger in those areas than the united states because at a certain point the united states stopped importing africans whereas these countries kept importing Africans, so you so you had that fresh infusion of African culture right. And also Where here that it was lost. right. And also you had that fresh in, influence uh, infusion of revolutionary thought, right? Because these cats were coming in. they were kidnapped again, they were not slaves
0: and they didn't have a slave mentality or a, a generational slave mindset.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, um, trying to go back to what we were talking about before. That's why you know I feel like yeah, reparations are necessary. Reparations is more than just a check, and definitely reparations is a diasporatically African um, concept that we all need to face, right? So, so yeah. So yeah, United States, we're owed reparations. Haiti's old reparations, Jamaica's old reparations, so on and so on and so forth. But are there different pathways
0: for us getting those reparations? Is it that we go to the United Nations and present it there? I know I know I'm I'm always a little unclear on if it's actually been presented there. I hear different histories, yeah, you know, a, on
1: that. That, uh, that is a very good question. I mean, especially considering how the United States, unfortunately, is still the strongest member of the United Nations. Right. I don't know how effective the United Nations would be in getting that, um, as opposed to, a, you know, more, more than a moral imperative. Um, I definitely feel that needs to happen here. I think that it's more than just a check. It's um, it's it's more enacting programs that built the... Uh, Built the white middle class, Which uh, housing programs. Them. Yeah, apply them to us
0: and land Fair. grants. Yeah,
1: you yeah. land grants, the GI Bill. Yeah, um, you know, low interest loans. You know what I mean? Um, free, education. free education, free college education. Uh, ending redlining. You you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and all like those
0: things still go on today. But yeah,
1: exactly. Like ending those practices. Where,
0: I mean, because. To me, reparations, like, for every other group, they happen after most of the carnage was done. The damage was done, correct? Right. When you look at Native Americans and when, the, when they receive their reparations, when you look at right. the Japanese and when they receive their reparations for the internment camps that we had here in the United States, we uh, right. can kind of get into because we have internment camps now in the United States again.
1: Yes, we have um, concentration camps, have concentration you know, concentration
0: camps. We're not Alex Jones, but that's just what it is like. That's they're showing you on TV and lot in Living color. It's right there for you to see. But OK. Right. Yeah, so, facts, you know. So my getting to my question is. Black people are still being mistreated in this country on a daily yeah. basis, right? Yeah. And yes. we really aren't afforded any protections or rights or privileges. You would agree with that?
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Okay. So can we st- can we ask for something to be fixed when the problem is still going on?
1: I think that we don't ask, we demand.
0: No, no, no. Yeah, demand.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, no I mean that, asking
0: this is what's deserved. It's not right, right. Exactly. We're not exactly. begging, we're not asking it. This is what needs to happen. I'm I'm hundred and ten percent in on that.
1: So exactly, exactly. And that happens, you know, that happens on the political level, on the national political level, that happens on the local political level, you know. Um that happens with grassroots, and you know, you need the combination of grassroots and sort of, um, for lack of a better term, mainstream politics working on this. Um, in addition to it, again, as you said, yes, you know, African-Americans will still catch in hell. Definitely Latino, you know, and Latino Americans are catching hell. Definitely still, even though there was some reparation for, you know, First Nation and whatnot, they're still catching hell. So what needs to happen, and this is, again, another reason why I think ADOS is such a BS term, because it's it's exclusionary. And as we've always seen in the cause for civil and human rights, it doesn't happen one group and then another group and then another group. It only happens when every group works together. For human rights, for human rights. See what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I I see that. What was my... I had a follow-up question to that, but... Oh, yes. Okay, so you just said that the um, term ADOS is exclusionary, and that's really one of your main critiques of it. Um, hmm. and you're in a very interesting place to discuss this and dissect uh, it as a term, right? Because you are from... An African um, background, as well as an African American background, is that the way you would like to be have it phrased, or is it?
1: Yeah, is that's my, my that's, terminology
0: off. No,
1: that's no, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, um, that's exactly what it is. It's I'm I'm in a very unique position. Yes, my mother is from West Africa, um, Liberia, to be You're exact, a
0: librarian, not Nigerian. Correct. Yeah. Liberian, not Nigerian.
1: Yes. And my and my father's African-American. Right. And what's even more interesting with the Liberian side of me, there is a bicultural nature of that as well, because with, you know, my grandfather's side, um, that was the native people of Liberia. Um, I come from the Vi people, which were there before the Amero, you know, the Americans came onto the land. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Because, and then on my grandmother. So, so, can side, you give
0: us some context to that um, on right. the history of Liberia for people that maybe aren't aware?
1: Um. Yeah. Just real um,
0: brief. I know it's yeah, hard people, to believe. People going to have
1: to be on my dates or something like that. Yeah. But um, I think it was like roughly 1870 when the first freed um, Africans who decided to go back to Africa landed on what would become Liberia, which was. An American colony that eventually became a country. Um, so you had the you had freed um, Africans returning home, basically. And on my grandmother's side, um, from my mother's side, Liberian side, they were part of those free people. Okay. So um, recently, I just found out like those people came from North Carolina. They came to land which would become Liberia, which was already populated by various um, cultures, including the Vi, which is my grandfather's side, Bassa, Kru, um, Mandingo in some aspects. And so in that, you know, you have this country, which again, has its own problems, yeah. um, you, you know, with, with sort of like the specter of the pathology, if you will, yeah. right?
0: Absolutely, I mean, that just sounds like a conflict right there. A right intentioned, but probably but, pretty poorly executed.
1: Yeah, and it becomes yeah. this other thing, right? So so it's like through my history, you know. So, like for for example, when people were talking about, you know, with Black Panther last year, right? Okay. And you had a whole bunch of African Americans talk about Killmonger was right. I'm coming here, it's like, no, <laughs> Killmonger was absolutely wrong, you know. And the way that he came into Wakanda was completely in violation. But what was interesting with the character is that that character reflected the psychology of African-America to, to an extent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, because of that, you know, we talk about that 400,000, mm-hmm. right? You see what I mean? Yeah. And that was it, you know? So, um,
0: who probably so, did feel the way that that character felt abandoned? You know, they, they tie the way they tie it in is he's really the nephew, you know, the cousin of Black. Of Panther. Shala. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh,
1: yeah. And, and that's and that totally makes sense. And, you know, and, and you've and you hear that a lot from, I've heard that a lot from African Americans about, you know, we were abandoned. Why didn't they come for us? And then I have to counter with, um, Because Africa was dealing with colon issues as well, colonialism. <laughs> you but
0: know what I mean? I, I have to be honest with you about that. It was something that kind of perturbs me. Now, why can't we get access to say, that start up. To me, what Pan-Africanism is, is I'm doing my thing here, you're doing your thing here, and we're consolidating resources and collaborating, right? Mm-hmm. So why can't we get like a uh, green card or a visa to go to these countries and become citizens? Why don't they well, just have actually, it? Well, I mean, actually, I, again, I know Africa is going through its own thing, right? But we right, see but, articles that, like, you know, the Chinese are coming over there.
1: And um, to answer your question, okay. to answer your question, you have a couple of countries that already offer automatic dual citizenship. Like for instance, China oh. has done so. So, like any, yeah. any I, and, and I've
0: heard that, but I hear the implementation of it is not
1: there yet for whatever reason. It's I mean, like, I mean, but well, that's the thing, it's getting there. But, okay, you know, okay, uh, yeah, the it's, point of
0: work it, in progress, I, I know it's, it's, it's there, working, but it, it kind of seems progress, like and I
1: think the same thing is happening in South Africa as well. So, you know, so you have a couple of countries beginning to think that way. Um, I think, uh, the countries would definitely. Who, 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 the countries that would definitely make those moves would probably be the countries that were the most affected in the, in the, in the transatlantic slave trade. So the West,
0: the West coast of Africa.
1: Definitely. Okay. West coast issue because the majority of us in this country come from West Africa or central Africa. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, um, and 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 Pan, Af- you know, I'm. I consider. I very much consider myself a Pan Africanist as well. Um, and you know, I see. I see collaboration, right? Okay. It's not. It's not huge. It's not widespread. But you know, it happens. But there's pockets of it. There's pockets of it, and, and it has
0: progressive, right? That that that's what your standards would be. Okay.
1: Exactly. Where you know you're moving forward, right? You know, I I live my life that way. You see what I'm saying so it's like you know anybody in the diaspora you know I'm I treat you I treat you like a colleague I treat you like family right you know Puerto Rican you you my light skinned Spanish speaking family right <laughs> you know we're, you,
0: we're a part of the diaspora we're part of the diaspora
1: exactly exactly right and and then also you know with my I'd like to call bicultural nature um i also i also feel a kinship quad cultural
0: nature almost
1: right what
0: you're almost quad cultural because of your yeah
1: in a sense because you know i see that connection like you know i see that connection with jamaica i see that connection with haiti i see that connection with belize and guyana you know what i mean in brazil and so on and so forth right it's all coming from it's all coming from the whole And you do have a number of people who feel that way and think that way. Um, I would say that you would find that way more so in the arts, you know, and in um, social justice initiatives than anywhere else. Uh, But there is that mentality happening and it is changing, albeit very slowly. But, you know, again, you have to attribute it a little bit to Black Panther. Black Panther blew open the lid of Afrofuturism, right? Absolutely. Right. And blew open the lid of imagining a Black future. So in order to imagine that Black future, now we have people beginning to really explore the Black past. That makes sense?
0: And, well... My thing is, um, you don't know this, but part of the platform or the concept behind um, this podcast is history. Because I think, you know, for other cultures, it's not as essential. I still think it's important. I still think it's something that everyone should do. But for Black people in particular, we have to know our history. Yes. It's imperative, it's not optional at all. And <laughs> far too many of us think it's optional
1: when it's no it's essential it is essential that is our our essential selves are in our history absolutely
0: and you know and i think we can learn from history and see how we can do things differently how we can improve what obstacles you know we went through so that we have a full understanding of what was going on because i think now we can get into our thing where it's like you know it where we're clashing when we don't need to, when maybe it was a misunderstanding that just didn't get resolved. And, you know, like, you know, for example, I, um, have you ever been to this restaurant by chance? It's in Schomburg. It's called BC. It's a Nigerian restaurant, though. It's not a librarian.
1: I have not. Um, I have not been to that restaurant. No. Okay.
0: Well, I, I used to go there all the time. Friends with the owner. Shout out to Anthony. But, um, the conversations I would hear in there um, were very interesting. And sometimes I'm African-American. I don't have uh, my, I have an uncle who is from Nigeria, but other than that, all of my relatives are, you know, typical, my, you know, great migration, African-American story. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but, sometimes um you know i have a, a darker complexion so i and i don't know because there you get so many people who are different complexions in africa which i i think is another misconception that all people from africa look a certain way when they don't because you have different <laughs> tribes and you know it's, it's just as diverse as any other group you know any other continent right but um so or i don't know maybe it's my facial features some because sometimes i get it sometimes i don't but people will say "Will oh, mistake me for nigerian so sometimes i'm privy to conversations that i otherwise wouldn't be privy to right mm-hmm. and i do sometimes well not sometimes well sometimes i get the sense that there are people who make distinctions between i'm african and i am different than being black or african-americans rather and i find that i find that interesting because it's something that i'm like i don't really think that way like you i would consider myself a pan-africanist like if to me you're black you're black you're we're we're all the same right you might have a different story than i do but we're you know we're all in this together Mm -hmm. and um so i want to figure out kind of solutions on how we can just get away from that, you know, and just kind of all get on the same page. And because, you know,
1: here's my thing, you know, part of that mentality is economic as well.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So it's like, you know, you do have a number of, you know, African families, you know, that may come into this, that may come to the States. They may come from a different social strata, And, you know, for them, it's all about the prestige. I mean, with Nigerians, a lot of it is about prestige. It's all about being that doctor, being that lawyer, yada, 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 so on and so forth. And because of that, it's, you know, the whole notion of you need to be around success in order to be successful. Now, who do you perceive to be successful? The other. Right. Right. So you. So you have these people you know who then become i like to say the franklin or it's the african franklin of their group so on and so forth and some people revel in that some people um you know revel in being the special one and being the right. golden hero, as i like to call it and
0: i'm sure you've had opportunities in your life to play that role right
1: i shoot like my my upbringing was like that uh, <laughs> right. it was a whole lot like that in my life yeah. and and even in seeing that i'm like nah <laughs> you know it. Like, this is not like, it. I, I am not i am not that dude you oh. know what i mean i am not that guy right i'm not that person but there are people who are that person yeah i don't deal with them <laughs> you know and, um and what i they, also think
0: is very important is like you're just saying we can't let that Franklin, that person who decided to be the special one, be the basis for how we look at um, diversity within the diaspora, right? That can't be the only representation that we, you know, go to as our
1: source point. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, and so, but again, that kind of ties into, you know, the understanding of history, doesn't it? Uh, Right, it has to.
0: But again, when when you don't and you're just looking at what the current situation is and you don't know how we got here, I I think everyone's confused. If you don't have that history as a um, pillar,
1: right, right, yeah. And what's and what's interesting is that the history has been chronicled and it's been out there. You know, we just have to grab it, like. For example, um, what was it? Last year, yeah, it was last year or maybe two years ago. Um, Henry Louis Gates' um, documentary, the six-part documentary on yeah. Africa. Yeah, that that many that six-part series should be mandatory viewing in every elementary school. You should take a week out, you know, in world history and and do that as an as, as a learning module that would do so much to even begin to expand the notion of African history before the transatlantic slave trade
0: absolutely because you know i mean i think it's hard i think a, a major reason why people especially african americans don't like studying history is because of the history that you received when you're in the school system right you we get the civil rights movement and then we get slavery.
1: Right. It, it, we started slavery and then it yeah. ends the civil rights yeah. movement. Yeah. And everything is fantastic, <clears throat> you know, and, you and know, it's
0: slavery, lot. civil rights movement pop up with Obama, you know? Right. Right. Like, yes, we can. Like that's, that's not history. That's to me, that's more on the lines of propaganda, but that, that, that's neither here nor there. But
1: That's totally propaganda, you know? um like with the notion of black history month and yes you know we do you we feel know,
0: about that black history month
1: well i celebrate i celebrate black history 365 days a year absolutely absolutely <laughs> you know and also um also the way that it's taught again it's like you know harold washington carver peanut butter and, you know what I mean? The first person to do this, first person to do that, first person to do this, so on and so forth. We are living Black history every day. Every day. And so we need it. And so in that, I would say more so, that should be the month where, at least in this country, you know, we as diasporatic Africans, as I like to call it, um, we learn more about the diasporatic African world.
0: I like that term.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank
0: you. I like that term. You, you, you're good with the uh, catchphrases, you know. The stuff.
1: I, you know, I got a knack. One of your many talents. <laughs> it's like I, I can turn a phrase. What, what, what can you say? I try to use that to the best of my ability. <laughs> Did you ever
0: get into advertising at all?
1: I actually worked in advertising for a couple of years right after I got out of uh, grad school.
0: Okay, it, that, that makes yeah. sense. That that tracks. Some of the things you said, I've gotten that impression that advertising. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I've done I've done advertising and marketing. Yeah, uh, and also with Rio Enterprises, you know, it's being your own brand. You have to, you have to be able to market your brand. You know.
0: Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, especially in the space that you're in, mm-hmm. with the um, independent, you know, this era of multi-billion-dollar corporate comic book culture. You know.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and it is a it is a corporate culture you know, right now. Um, I definitely call I now call DC Marvel the corporate too because yeah, they are, you know. They are, and and they're interchangeable.
0: I was listening to you. um, I can't remember if it was on a podcast that you were on or if it was a lecture, but you eloquently stated the way an opinion that I've always shared on how I make a distinction between DC and Marvel, whereas I say, you know, kind of to use a basketball analogy, uh, DC has the better starting five, but... Um, Marvel has the better um, overall team. They have a better eight. You know, they have a better nine, ten, ten.
1: They and have the they deeper. Have, bench. They have the deeper bench, right? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, the way that I said it. Yeah, what did I say? Like, I think
0: you said a, has- a team versus B team. Gotcha. Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah cause
1: the way I always looked at it, it's like DC has the icons, mm-hmm. Marvel has the heroes, right? Right. So it's like in terms of like. You know, DC, DC houses the template of the of the American superhero, right? The core you know? three. Yeah, yeah. When like the trinity is real. Yeah, you know. What I
0: mean? Absolutely.
1: Right. Marvel, on the other hand, has the heroes of the people.
0: Right. Who came? Because I think when you look at their um, their inceptions, Marvel really came about during an age of protest and as a kind of response to the civil rights movement in a sense
1: well it was a well you know it was um when marvel became marvel um the kids that read the early comic books were now teenagers right getting into college and they were beginning yeah they were beginning to rebel against their parents right and And what D.C., you know, D.C., especially when the Silver Age began with the Flash and whatnot, um, D.C. really shot into super prominence during the height of, like, probably the most conformist era in the United States, which was the 50s. So, you know, Flash and uh, I mean, well, I should say Barry Allen and Hal Jordan and Ray Palmer, you know, they came up being like the... The epitome of the American dream, right? That marketing scheme. Yeah, you know the it the epitome,
0: tied into the World War. Oh, I'm getting tongue tied, but the World Wars and all that.
1: Yeah, it was like per, it was like post World War Two. You know what I mean? I mean they were establishing again this of uh, this fantasy of uh, the American dream, which television. Um, completely put together, you know, the suburban life, so on and so forth, right? And DC epitomized that. Um, When you get to the 60s, we all know that that American dream that they were putting forth was a lie. And the kids who were reading those comic books were growing up realizing that this was a lie. And so Marvel comes into the mix where they're like, we're not trying to be we're not trying to um, support this standard, but we are trying to give some sort of a semblance of like real world responses to these amazing problems and whatnot And so by that token alone Marvel becomes like the bad boy and the rebel and becomes yeah. more accessible to the common man. You right. see what I mean? Yeah be- because the common man knows what it's like to be broke. you know the common man knows what it's what it's like to be angry the common man knows what it's like to maybe be the strongest person in the mix, but nobody's looking at you because you're not, you're not the pretty boy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, that's really how you, that's an amazing distinction between the two. I I think that couldn't have said it better myself. So (laughs) like the, the history that you mixed in there, it was, That that's what you call a clinic, people, you know. (laughs) But um real quick, because I know we are up against it on time and I'm I'm definitely gonna have to have you back if you would be so
1: kind. Oh sure, definitely.
0: But um kind of take us through I have three questions for you and um they're kind of long questions, but if you can just kind of give us some answers and then maybe we'll go more in depth later, but if you could tell us your thoughts on the Netflix Marvel and that kind of end of the air era, the series, Um, you Mm. know, we're kind of done with that. Right. With uh, Jessica Jones ending.
1: Yeah. yeah, We're, we're done with that. Um, So the, uh, the MNU as I like to call the Marvel Netflix universe. Yep. I, um i thought it was a great experiment um it ended the way it ended and i'm okay with that okay because you know for me i don't want stuff to go on forever like stories are meant to end that's what gives stories impact you see what i'm saying yeah so it it
0: was never going to be uh you know, like an ABC show that goes on for seven seasons. Uh, what, what's the show that everyone loves? Grey's Anatomy, you know, that probably should have been canceled or, you know, ended, you know, five, six
1: seasons ago, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so for instance, Daredevil. Daredevil had three seasons, great seasons. It's a great way to tell that story. I thought that um, Daredevil ended really well. Um, I thought that Jessica Jones, within its three seasons, I think they were able to tell their story. You know what I mean? Right. There was a, there was a narrative that went through, and I and I felt that um they were able to tell that story. Haven't finished uh, Jessica Jones up yet, but I
0: definitely started it.
1: Right, right. Um, Luke Cage. <clears throat> I wish Luke Cage had one more season.
0: It needed one more season.
1: It needed one more that can't season. Be
0: the ending to Luke Cage. That wasn't you know. I liked it as a season two ending. But yeah, series finale. That it, I look it at. Needed, that
1: more, different it needed one more season. Um, you said you hadn't finished uh, Jessica Jones yet.
0: Not yet, but I, I kind of seen it. some spoilers. Finish okay, it.
1: finish okay. it. It it it. Trust me, it'll help you. Ma- it'll help make you feel better. Okay. Um, I would say. Iron Fist, Iron Fist, ironically, second season was good because the first season was trash. Um,
0: You see, and I was okay with this first season, but I've never, my bias with this is I was never invested in the
1: character. Gosh, it was, yeah, no, first season, first season was, I mean, I'm not that invested in Iron Fist, but first season was horrible. (laughs) Second season. Second season, however. See, we can, (laughs) I call it Season, the second season is Iron Fist's equivalent of the Fuji's The Score. Okay. In that, the score was a just an exponentially better album than the Fuji's first album, and that's what um, season two of Iron Fist was for Iron Fist.
0: Hip references. You, know, <laughs> you, you
1: you're see like what I mean? the
0: ideal guest for this show. You know, you're talking about <laughs> history. We're talking about empowerment. Uh, we're talking about empathy, and, of course, we're talking about entrepreneurship. So, yeah.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah. So, Iron Fist, you know, with with the Season 2 of Iron Fist, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, that could have two seasons. Um, the Punisher, to be honest with you. Um, I think that though it though went pretty I well
0: for The be, Punisher, right?
1: Right. I mean, even, even though I enjoyed Season 2 of The Punisher, The Punisher really didn't need a Season 2. Does that make sense?
0: No, I, I I would agree with that. Um, I liked it, but if we only had because really, if you think about it, season two of Daredevil was kind of like a Punisher season in a way as well.
1: It introduced the Punisher and and yeah. introduced the Punisher in the best way. Like yeah. the, like that scene with them on the roof. That was that was a masterclass in acting. In you know like for best. Best performance on a rooftop scene in a a comic book show. That award should have gone to, you know, uh, that should have gone to uh, Charlie and John for that, because that was a great exchange. They were doing some really good work there. Um, But yeah, but yeah, that was the introduction to the Punisher. And then, you know, going into the Punisher series, you know, again, it was if we only had one season of Punisher, that would have been cool. Yeah, you know. Um. So yeah, and plus, really,
0: Luke Cage that that's really the only one that that I would have liked to see
1: a third season. You know,
0: for all of them, your general conclusion is we only need it really about three for all of the shows, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. At at the most, you know what I mean. At at the most, like
0: I was thinking, because of branding and everything, like when it, when it when it was first introduced, I was like, they're probably gonna try to go five seasons. Oh, we we didn't touch on this. The defenders, did that work or did that not work?
1: I liked it. Okay. Did, did it did it blow me away? Was it a game changer? No, but it was fun.
0: It was fun. I I I was expecting more. Uh, and I think it would have been okay if we didn't get it, but I did enjoy it. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, again it was like it's it, you know it's fun. You know it was what cool. I mean?
0: Yeah, you know it, it was.
1: It was like it was like oh you know let's put it this way it was better than Justice League by far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm harsh. Ben
0: Affleck is your favorite Batman, Chuba.
1: <laughs> okay. So <laughs> are, we, are, are we down, are we dovetailing into the DCEU right now? Is that what's happening?
0: Yeah, let's go there. Why not?
1: It, okay. Word up. Okay. So um, the DCEU's problem from the beginning is that they were trying to play catch up. Yeah. And that you can see that. That, that, was, that, was their, that was their first problem. Second problem was to have that universe helmed by a guy who doesn't believe in superheroes. Much less believes in Superman.
0: Because they they have... Who's the guy? The guy that did Watchmen, right? He's running... Yeah, Zack Snyder. Yeah. Zack Snyder, okay. Yeah, Zach I did not think of his name at the moment. Yeah,
1: yeah. Total, total Lord. Like, he, he does not... I've read this article. He does not believe in superheroes. He does not believe nature of superheroes right right? so that's why his take on
0: and you can't do that when you're dealing with icons people who created the mythology for superheroes
1: exactly exactly yeah that's why that's why you know his that's why man of steel was off right i mean i like it but was it off? yeah 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 henry cavill is a fine superman yeah if he had superman material to work with he would have been a great superman yeah you know, um, with but it BVS, felt
0: like Superman, that they were trying to make Superman into Batman, which is
1: they're they which was completely wrong, and that was and that was the thing. Like with BVS, all I saw was Zack Snyder really trying to remake the Dark Knight Returns, like, there was like some stuff up in there, straight lifted, <laughs> you know, um, from the Dark Knight Returns now. The lifting of stuff was fine for 300 because that was the point, but you know, and even with Watchmen, that kind of worked. But with Batman versus Superman, I mean, how are you gonna have the first opportunity to have the Trinity on screen and it be in like at best a C movie? Yeah, I mean, you see what I mean? Because, like, really.
0: They, um, And now we're at the point where they're trying to fix it. But I don't think that they know what they're doing. I don't think it's going to be fixed anytime soon.
1: Well, well, to be honest with you, um, I think the first iteration of the DCEU is gone. And that's fine. It needed to be gone. Um, so that because, first iteration would be what? Well, what that, that first iteration... That? It, it's really, it's really the Snyder films. Okay, it's it's really the Snyder films because Wonder Woman, we get Wonder Woman. You know what I mean? Yeah, we we I, get.
0: I, I think that's the, definitely their strongest film.
1: Right. I I enjoyed Aquaman. I loved Aquaman. No way. I haven't seen Aquaman yet. Yeah, just... Aquaman. If you want to talk about, if you want to talk about loving the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, if you read the Ivan Rice run of Aquaman, the movie is all that. You okay. know, so, okay. visually, yeah, visually, we are getting, it's like... It's been a while
0: since i read it, but okay, yeah.
1: yeah. We're getting Ivan Rice. It's gorgeous. Black Manta is spot on, you know? Like, we're getting all of it. Like, I enjoyed the cheesy aspects of it. I'm not even ruining the movie for you, but yes, we have Arthur writing the fucking... Excuse my French. Oh, okay. Writing the... The seahorse, you know yeah. what I mean? We get that. That's what we want from an Aquaman movie, you know. Um, when we finally see him in the orange and green, like it's so awesome <laughs> to see like that costume when it's designed right. So I enjoyed that. I loved Shazam. Okay, Shazam was Shazam was totally on point. And again, Shazam was the instance of they just took. The Shazam story from the New Fifty Two, which was actually one of the best of the um, New Fifty Two, and they just made the movie of it. And I thought that that movie was great. So when when the DCEU honors the properties that they actually have, they make good movies. You know, on the on the flip side, that's why. What I like to call the DCW has been so successful because okay. the DC, yeah, like yeah. We, we talk about the, the Arrowverse, right? right Arrowverse. Be-
0: should because should have, before you go into this, should Arrow have ended a couple seasons ago, or what's your verdict on that?
1: Again, it's all leading up to Crisis on Infinite Earths, and so that's what I'm waiting for. Okay. Fair so enough. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, this last season of Arrow was really fascinating. I don't know if you watched it. I, I'm behind Arrow like three seasons now. I think. Gotcha. And I, this is I, a-
0: I will binge it because I really, uh, I really love the show when it first came out. That was my show. Every I think it came on Wednesdays at first, and I was watching it
1: all the time. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, I mean, because with the because with the DCW, this is where this is where I saw how the DCW. Completely had it over the DCEU was when they did. Um, oh, absolutely! Yeah, when the when they did, uh, um, 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 you know, the big crossover. It was like right after Justice League came out. Yeah, and then they, they did, did the, um the the Crisis on Earth X or something like that. Yeah, was that the crossover? And I'm looking yeah, at I don't that
0: think show. Like, crisis though, I wanna... Yeah,
1: yeah, no, yeah. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, that's the Justice League movie right there. Yeah. You know, like, that's the real one right there. Like, I'm wasting money. <laughs> they don't
0: even know what they have. They, it's because I think there's like a mishandling. Like, it's like one person is running the, the films and the other person is running the TV, if my understanding is correct, or was yeah, at some point.
1: Yeah. So, you know, and so they how they justify those differing visions is that they leaned into the whole nature of the multiverse of the DCU. Right. Yeah. Of, of the comic book universe so they're like oh think of the projects is they're, they're all part of the multiverse <laughs> you know um like no which... but okay right right right. it's like weak sauce but you know i guess so you're telling me you have better uh comic book creators on the tv okay bet cool
0: because i <laughs> thought know? that the actor who plays um the flash um, I thought if they weren't gonna get like a known actor to play the Flash in Justice League, he's the
1: Flash. He could have been, the Fl- yeah. There was no Grant reason Gustin not to be that. Um, Ezra Miller, whatever. Grant Gustin is my Flash. That's Barry
0: Allen.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's my Flash, right?
0: So yeah, yeah, I and and I liked how. Um, why am I forgetting my guy's name right now? The actor who plays Arrow, who plays uh, Ollie. Oh, Steven Amel? Steven Amel. How he came out and it was like, no, that was kind of BS what they did. They, you know, Flash had a very successful first year run. And when we're talking about the numbers for that show, that's when they came out and said Ezra Miller was going to be the Flash in the movie. It was like, that was poorly handled, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And already, and already that, you know, that right there, I was like, okay, that's a trash move. And then. You know, I saw their design for the Flash in the movie. I'm like, wow, that's a trash costume. (laughs) It
0: it (laughs) never, I was never at the point where I was like, okay, the Justice League is really going to be a good
1: movie because. Because we didn't, they didn't didn't have
0: Wonder Woman yet, right?
1: They didn't earn a Justice League movie yet. Like, that Justice League movie was not earned, you know? I,
0: I mean, I could see what they were trying to do. Like okay, let's do the Justice League movie, and then we're gonna break off the characters from there. We're gonna do the one big movie, you know, and then we're gonna kind of reverse engineer the process that led up to Avengers and all that. Oh, okay. And they, I could see it, but your beginning. execution has to be there.
1: Yeah, yeah. They should have done that from the beginning, and if then that and that's the thing. That's the they thing. Even
0: just copy Justice League, the animated series.
1: You they they should. They should have. could
0: have just done that.
1: And, and, right, and and what it was, and what it was, is that you saw, you painfully saw that they did not have a plan when they rolled out these movies. No. And that, and that's the most disappointing thing. So you know, you have like these guys still talking about we want the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. First of all, it doesn't exist. Second of all, from what I read of it, that movie was even more trash than this one was, right? <laughs> like, it's it, nothing, you cannot polish that turd. It's a turd, you know?
0: Like, I didn't mind it as much as other people, but, like, it it, it, it wasn't there, you you can see where the flaws are, you can see where how poorly executed everything was handled. Right. You, it, right. It, it's so obvious. Like it because there, there are certain things where it doesn't even really work as a movie sometimes, right? Right. Comic books and all that. As a movie sometimes, you're like, know, wait, huh?
1: Wait. That no. Yeah. It's it's weak. It's 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 very weak. And and, that, and that's the thing, like, you know, when it comes to these movies, when it comes to comic book movies, I realize it's not about whether or not you'll want to see it the first time, because the way it's set up now, you are going to see it the first time. It's all about rewatchability. Right. Exactly. That's that. That's the test of time. After seeing uh, Justice League, I'm like, I don't ever need to see this movie ever again. Ever again. Same thing with Batman versus Superman. I don't ever need to see this movie again. Right?
0: I thought Batman versus Superman was more enjoyable though. Just as a watch.
1: Here's here's my thing. I still not a
0: good ha- movie, but
1: no, my my thing about okay, here's another thing about a superhero movie for me. Like my thing about that movie is that I had the screw face on the whole time I was watching the movie. Except <laughs> when Wonder Woman finally came on the scene. That was like the only time that I smiled. You know what I mean? Yeah. But other than that, other than that, I was sour. You weren't enjoying that.
0: that experience
1: at all. I was sour. I was Something just like took you
0: out of it in the beginning and you were never able to get back into
1: <laughs> it. It was it was just it was dour. <laughs> it it really was. It was it was it was a letdown. There there was no love in that film. You didn't feel the love in that film. Yeah. And <laughs> And, and that's—I that's I
0: think the way that they set it up, it was they were again, like we've been saying, they were confused because it was almost like we're supposed to know these characters and be invested in these characters and have this payoff be um, demonstrated throughout the movie, right? But mm-hmm. we didn't have any of that, really. No. So what? So what are we talking about? Like no. Like no. the whole—if they were going to do. It reverse engineer like Justice League the way that they were planning on doing it they should have just done it they, they needed a completely different premise and script to go from there
1: and they, they also needed they also needed someone who actually dug Justice League right actually a real yes they, they need not, a, a comic
0: book not, mind not, behind all of this
1: and not necessarily a sla- you know a slavish fanboy but they needed somebody who understands and gets superheroes. Like the reason why the Nolan versus Batman movies work is because at the end of the day, Nolan and the whole cast and crew understood and appreciated and respected the Batman mythos. Yes. Unequivocally. That, that's why they work. You know what I mean? That's why they work. The Marvel movies work because Marvel as a brand, unfortunately, it's not necessarily translating in their comics right now, but movie wise, you get the essence and the core of their characters. Right. Right. Like when you're when you're watching a movie, you know, for me, it's not necessarily when I'm watching a movie. I'm like, yeah, go cap. I'm like, yeah, Steve. That's right. Steve. You know what I mean? You you get that connection to who they are as people. And those are and that's who you're rooting for. You're not necessarily rooting for the superhero. You're you're rooting for the person who took on the role of being a superhero. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. I mean, because I think that's what you know, kind of like we were describing, uh, or you were describing earlier, um, just how Marvel has always been. Marvel Marvel. is more relatable, you know, than uh, DC. You know, so you get the... So what you just said makes total sense with that being as you're rooting for the person that becomes the hero, not necessarily the hero.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. So um, So the, was that first question and second question, or was that first question? And then we're going to question two. That was first question. Yeah, so we have question two. Um, <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. So... What inspired you to write The Horseman?
1: Mm. What inspired me to create The Horseman? Um, Couple of things. First of all, The Horseman came out of my graduate school thesis. That's
0: what I was listening to earlier. Very interesting story. Could you please kind of go into detail about that?
1: Right. So um, I was getting my master's degree at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And in order to get your degree, you had to do a thesis. So I wanted to do a thesis project um, where I would write and design, and in some cases illustrate, a book on the history of African-American superheroes and tie it into African mythology. And so when I was thinking of the chapter, uh, the chapter titles, for the book, I wanted to base it on um, an Orisha yeah, you know, uh, from from the Yoruba from the Yorba culture. And as I was doing that, um, in that exploration of instead of illustrating them in traditional African dress, but thinking of them as superheroes, like Jack Kirby did with Asgardian, um, you know, the Asgardian stories and Norse mythology, so on and so. forth. Um, around that time, also, um, I had the initial stirrings of beginning Grio Enterprises. Okay. Um, and so at that point, and with my partners at the time and me working on this project, I realized that number one, I was like, wow, okay, this idea is way too cool to just be a thesis project. Um, and so this will probably be my first comic book, um, as opposed to another concept that everybody thought I was going to do. Um, but as I also really thought about it, there was never an iconic superhero team um that was African African American. Right. Like, like in my thesis, I saw that there were a lot of good characters, you know, or African American characters with potential. But you know, if you ever got into the what ifery game of like, okay, how would you put together your um you know, your ideal Black superhero team, well, then automatically, you know, you're picking and choosing different um, comic book companies, right? You're Right. Like, oh, I'd have Spawn in there. Oh, then let me get Black Panther in here and let me get Black Lightning in here. Let me get Storm in here and let me get a uh, 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 Vixen or somebody like that, right? You're going from different, different companies, okay? And so I wanted to create an iconic African-American superhero team that was on the level of the Avengers or the Justice League. And in order for me to have them feel iconic, I had to go back to the source of the superhero myth, which is really world mythology. And since the superhero, the American superhero is based pretty much on either Greco-Roman or Judeo-Christian myth, for the most part, you know, Then you have, you know, Norse mythology, but for the most part, it's pretty European, right? Right. With the exception of the Egyptian influence, which was still whitewashed, right? Because, you know, Dr. Fate, you know, had this Egyptian connection, of course, so does Shazam, you know, so on and so forth, but it's very whitewashed. So does Dr. Strange, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Doctor Strange has this whitewashed Eastern philosophy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So,
0: oh yeah, Doctor Fate is more, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, so, so what I had to do is that I wanted to keep my team pure of that. So I went to again African mythology with you know the Yoruba faith, um, you know Ife as as a root with the Orishas, but that. My superhero world was based on this, um, you know, uh, African spirituality, and so that's where the horsemen came about because I wanted to create a, a team that you know didn't deal with like oh we got to clean up the neighborhoods oh drugs are a problem this that or the third. I wanted to create a team that was changing the world, you know what I mean? Right. That was
0: it wasn't you a know, local, you know, or yeah. city wide
1: team. It was- it was- in the outer space we've got multiple dimensions so Mm -hmm. on and so forth you know that was the world I wanted to create which had this African and African American you know viewpoint absolutely Mm -hmm. and
0: I have one I really want to ask two more questions
1: but it's it's funny
0: I'm going to ask, can you describe the influence on Millstone Comics? On on me? Or or on for yourself, but also just in the history of comic books. So I think it's more influential in the comic industry than it always
1: gets credit for. Oh, definitely. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, like on multiple levels, I mean, the influence on a personal level um, milestone media um, inspired me to get into the game. And throughout you know me entering into uh, the comic book industry, I mean, Dennis Cohen was one of the first people who saw my portfolio. Oh. He was also the person when he saw it to my por- portfolio, had the audacity to look into my soul and say, you want to make your own comics. And so... <laughs> So he definitely um, influenced me and put me on that path. And then I had the opportunity um, to meet and start somewhat of a friendly relationship with Dwayne McDuffie in 2005 um, at the San Diego Comic-Con. When after the Horseman came out and it was down for a while and I was working on another project uh, for Universal Music Group and I ran into him at uh, San Diego. And this was the beginning of print on demand, so which gave me the opportunity to get back into publishing, and so I created some postcards to remind people, hopefully, if you will, of um, the horseman. And I met him, and um, you know, did the fanboy thing for about two minutes, and then I handed him a postcard with the horseman on it, and he looked at it, and he was like, "Greo Enterprises," and I'm like, "Yeah," and he's like. The Horseman, that's your book? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I love that book. I wonder what had happened to that book. And so Dwayne McDovey was the reason that I kept going. So in terms of my personal history, Milestone oh, wow. is 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 a is a cornerstone of my history. Um, just like Todd Johnson and Larry Strowman's Tribe. Is a cornerstone of my history, you know, intimately. um, In terms of the wider scene, yeah, I mean, Milestone put people on notice um, about the viability and the profitability of uh, diverse characters and to have them have their own agency. Um, It's a lesson that the mainstream is still trying to get but um on the other hand we have this whole black comics movement which really kicked in the high gear because of milestone media and tribe and brother man you know these books showed us um african-american and african creators that we could do our thing we don't have to wait for the other to give us the opportunity to tell our own stories. We can do it ourselves. We can make that happen. We can create an audience based on this. And so in terms of that inspiration, in terms of that, you know, entrepreneurial thought, which of course was very hip-hop, because this happened all in the 90s, you know, where um, you know, the hip hop culture, I think, more so than anything. Uh, helped African-America really get into an entrepreneurial mindset. You know, that mindset was also happening in the comic book industry. Um, That's one of the reasons why with my four pages, uh, 16 bars of visual mixtape anthology series, the tagline for that is comics are hip hop. Yeah. I remember that
0: campaign. Mm -hmm. I remember when you were kind of doing that campaign. Uh, yeah, recently right yeah
1: yeah well it, it's not even a recent campaign i uh, actually four pages 16 bars a visual mixtape has been around since um 2013 2014 officially so i'm okay. just letting. i'm just okay.
0: reminding. wow people. then I, I remember it from then then okay
1: yeah yeah so i'm just i'm just reminding people now um about that you know a new volume is coming out right um, that, you know, the brand is strong and that the brand is returning. Um, what's, uh, you know, what's interesting, of course, it's like, um, you know, now I put it out to like, oh, can I be down? How can I get on? Do you need people? And it's kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm not a supervillain where, where in the sense it's like, I don't tell my plans before something happens. Right. Like, like, I'm more like Ozymandias, of like you know i tell you my plan it's like no i made that happen 30 minutes ago yeah (laughs) you see what i'm saying so um so yeah so but but uh going back to the philosophy of it it's like yeah comics are hip-hop because if you think about the history of comics and you think about the history of hip-hop there are many many parallels to it especially them being like these you know uniquely american constructs which came from uh the underclass yeah. came from the underclass and have become like these global um cultural influencers
0: was this in your thesis at all or it grad didn't it make school? it because of the uh yeah divergence of subject matter
1: gotcha was this in my was this my a uh, grad school thesis yeah
0: or did, did you have no. hip-hop you know
1: right, right now No, it wasn't in my graduate thesis, but yes, my graduate thesis from that inadvertently, it directly birthed The Horseman.
0: Right, right, of course, of course.
1: But also the other aspect of um, curating um, African and African-American comics, you know, um, came out of that book idea as well. So four pages, 16 bars is... um, it's it's sort of this is me being curator, this is me being historian, um, this is me, um this is me in some ways being an, an academic and recording the the growth and the diversity of the black comics movement. And at the same time, you know, um helping to commun- to continue to create this community um that is black comics. Because, again, just like hip-hop, hip-hop is a culture. Hip-hop is not just Def Jam. It's not just Death Row. It's not just Tommy Boy. It's not just Rockus Records or No Limit or Cash Money. It's all of them, right? All of them. All of it. Contribute to to hip-hop culture. Just like with Black comics, it's not just Milestone. It's not just Tribe. It's not just Brother Man. Is that along with Blackjack, along with Isnana the Wear Spider, along with Spirit's Destiny, along with Bitterroot and Noble and um, Excellence and Miranda Mercury and all these cats, all these brothers and sisters, just creating phenomenal work, you know, just banging work that is beyond it's it's beyond DC and Marvel books right now. You know, but so many people are looking for DC or Marvel to lead the charge with diverse characters when it's like those characters, no matter what they do, will not be as fresh as the characters that we have in the concepts that we have going on right now in the Black Comics movement. You
0: know what? I think that is a perfect way for us to end our discussion today.
1: I love that. (laughs) Right Right on. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So um so when so when is this uh show gonna go up?
0: Uh let me look at the dates. Not this upcoming Wednesday, but I think the Wednesday after that.
1: Okay. Okay. Just give me a heads up so I can, you know, put oh, it I'll out. I'll send
0: it to you before. Yeah, beforehand. Oh, word before.
1: up. Okay, cool. Cool. So I can put it out there and share it with everybody, you know. Yeah. And then um
0: yeah, I'll 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 send you everything. I have it done. i I'm probably will do more editing with this than others because we had so many technical issues, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll I'll definitely keep you updated beforehand before
1: it's released. Okay, cool. 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 And like I said,
0: love to have you back there. There's still so much I want to talk to you about.
1: Definitely. I'm, I'm definitely open to it. And, you know, thank you for inviting me and thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to verbalize um, these, these thoughts and these concepts. <laughs> it,
0: it was an amazing
1: conversation So we, we are all Better for it <laughs> Well thank you, thank you man Well listen, you have a good rest Of the afternoon And we'll definitely be in contact Very soon and whenever you're ready For me to come back on uh, The show, I'm more than happy Absolutely, I appreciate that You take care and uh, We'll be in touch Alright, you, you have a good one, Okay. okay Alright, bye bye Hello, this is Jeb Mole Anderson, and I'm sharing my story on the TREP Live podcast. Let's stay connected. You can follow me on social media, either at Jebba Mole Anderson on Facebook, or my handle, Jazz Intellect, J-A-Z-I-N-T-E-L-L-E-C-T, on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can just check out the website, www. Grio Enterprises. That's G-R-I-O-T Enterprises dot com. I hope my experiences inspire you. And remember, dreams over doubt, focus over frustration. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays.